Okay, we are continuing in Acts chapter 2. And last time we read the portion of Acts 2, 14 through, through 20. And we are going to continue on that. But let me just recap uh, this idea of faith versus works. And in verse 14 it says, what, is, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Let me contrast that again, as I did last week, to Paul's writings in Ephesians. Well, several verses I quoted last week, but in particular, this will sum it up. And Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, um, verse, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not, as a, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so what I'm going to do is reiterate what I had spoken about last time, the differences of Paul and James' perspective here. The situation was different in that Paul was using the way of justification to counteract legalism. James was referring to the life of the justified. So works, once someone is now justified. The meaning of the word works for Paul was, um, Paul was, was uh, uh, it was with respect to uh, uh, the Old Testament law of Moses, the 613 commandments that they were given in the, in the law of Moses. In James, it was with respect to the love and faith. With Paul, the meaning of the word justification was an acquittal or a legal justification. With James, it was vindication or justifying one's profession of faith. Paul's intention was to contrast salvation through grace and works. And James was to contrast dead faith versus a living faith. And finally, the place of works. Paul argued against works as a means for justification and James argued for works in the lives of those already justified. So with that recap, let's then start reading in verse, um, in verse 23. We'll start reading about, about uh, Abraham. In, um, I'm sorry, yeah, in verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So he gives us now an example. Last time he gave us a, a hypothetical example. Hypothetical example was if you should see a brother or sister in need of, of food and clothing and you just say, oh, be warm and be filled. So he gave us this hypothetical example. But now he gives us a specific example. And again, we can underscore that this was a book that was written by James, the Jewish pastor, to Jews. Because if you're writing to Gentiles, you don't take out... Old Testament passages. They didn't have that context. It wasn't like everybody walked to church with a, with a Bible under their arm or you know, with a PDA that had a copy of the Bible. <clears throat> they didn't have that. And so, 
he is clearly writing to Jews because he can use this frame of reference of, of Abraham as a good example. <clears throat> and so, we see here with, with Abraham, it says, Was not Abraham our father? <clears throat> By him saying, our father is again showing that he is writing to a Jewish audience. Abraham, our father. So they recognize him as a father of their faith. <clears throat> Wasn't he justified by works when he offered up Isaac, the son, on the altar? When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. It says that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, his faith was perfected. So, um, if you look back in, <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 22, it gives this example in Genesis chapter 22. Let's look in Genesis chapter 22, verse 16. <clears throat> Genesis 22:16, and we'll, we'll look at this portion about when Isaac was offered up. And let's start reading. In we'll just pick it up in verse. We'll, we'll start reading in verse one. Genesis chapter 22, verse one. <clears throat> now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I will tell you. So look at this from Abraham's perspective. I mean, we go, la-di-da-di-da-di-da. So Abraham was told to offer up his son. We know what's going to happen. Big whoop. This was a very big deal in Abraham's life. <clears throat> Remember, this son of Abraham was born when Abraham was about 100 years old. And at this time, Abraham's around 115 or 113, something like that. So Abraham's an old man. Abraham had already lost another son, and that was Ishmael. And Abraham loved Ishmael. And remember, he had said to God that, that may, may this happen through Ishmael. And God said, no, I'm going to give you your own son. Ishmael was born through his, his, uh, his wife's handmaid. And, and so, <clears throat> when, <clears throat> when Ishmael was, when, when he asked Hagar to leave, and he told Abraham to have Hagar leave, she took with him Ishmael. He never again saw his son Ishmael. That was 100% his son. It wasn't like an adopted son or anything. Remember, that was his son with Hagar. He loved Ishmael. When God had taken Ishmael out of the scene for him, he never again saw his son Ishmael. <clears throat> Here God is now coming to him and saying, I don't want Isaac to just go away. I want Isaac to be offered up. Imagine how this must feel to a father. This is no easy thing at all. And look at Abraham's response. <clears throat> he starts going. He said in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering. And he rose and he went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. 
And he took it in his hand, in his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two men, the two of them, I'm sorry, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not touch, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by his, thorn, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And, and um, in verse 15, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of your enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed me. Okay, so Abraham goes up this mountain. This is now the second son that he is about to lose. He goes up this mountain and he tells his servants, just wait here, I and the lad will go ahead when they saw exactly the mountain that God had called them to. If you've ever gone to Jerusalem, that is the very mountain on which Abraham offered up Isaac. That is the very place. And at that temple mount, which the top of the mountain has now been cut off, to make way for the city. King Herod did that, but so it was, the pinnacle was a little bit higher, but it is right there on that spot. And it says that, that Abraham you know, was showing something here. He was showing an act of obedience, but it was also his son Isaac. Look in verse 9, it says that he bound his son Isaac. So Isaac is around 13 years old at this time. Abraham is around 113. I don't know if you can imagine, but imagine a hundred-year-old trying to chase down a thirteen-year-old on a mountain. You know, thirteen-year-olds are really quite good at running. I remember when, when my kids got to the ages where I couldn't catch them anymore. And I would chase them outside and I couldn't catch them. And they realized this very quickly that I couldn't catch them anymore. And they would stand there and they'd you just kind of wiggle back and forth and say, get me. And I'd run and I'd really try to catch them and I couldn't catch them anymore because they could turn on a dime and just boom. And, and I would end up on the ground and I couldn't do it anymore. Now, so this happened to me sometime in my 40s. This man is, a, is 113 years old and there's a 13-year-old. Can you imagine if the 13-year-old did not want to be bound by his father? He would not have been bound. 
I assure you. That's why when they're going up the mountain, it says the two of them are walking together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Father, behold, we have the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? He just thought his dad forgot. You know, at 100, 113 years old, you kind of forget a few things, right? Your dad, you know, you're forgetting something here. We need the lamb for the offering. Abraham has a plan. He says God himself will provide the lamb. Isaac had to have submitted himself to being bound. Had to have submitted himself to being laid upon that altar. There is no way that Abraham could have picked up this 13-year-old and put him on this altar. Isaac had to have himself put himself upon that altar. The depth of relationship here, the depth of submission of Abraham to God and of Isaac to his father is quite clear here. But then after this event and God provides his own lamb, here is this declaration in, in, uh, in verse 16. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, indeed I will greatly bless you. This is the passage that is being referred to in the, the, the epistle of James. This offering up of Isaac. But this is not where Abraham was saved. In fact, if you turn back earlier in Abraham's life, Back in, in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is actually the verse that's quoted in James. So you see, the belief came back earlier than the, the, the act of offering up Isaac. And here he was a believer in, in, in Genesis chapter 15. And then in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is about 75 years old. And again in verse 8, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So back in Genesis chapter 12, he believed. The act followed 35 years later. So, this gets back to what we're talking about in the epistle of James. In the epistle of James, it says that Abraham was justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. The word justification for James means vindication. means demonstration. Abraham demonstrated this, demonstrated this in Genesis 22. But belief, faith was already there, as seen in Genesis chapter 15 and in Genesis chapter 12. Faith comes first, works follow. Because you see in James chapter 2 verse 22 it says, You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. As a result of works, faith was perfected. What does that mean? It means that faith must have come first. Because then the works perfected that which came first. You see the logic here. It is not that works save us, not at all. Faith existed before the act was ever done. Had Abraham failed in the Isaac test, it would not necessarily mean that he lacked sound faith. 
But there would have been far less evidence that he had faith, both to other people and to himself. Works demonstrate are a demonstration of our faith. This is what James is referring to. Not that works save. Works are a manifestation of a faith that is already there. You see the logic, the conclusion, because you see in, in, in verse 24. Verse 24 begins in the New American Standard with, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. What does it say in, in, in the NIV for verse 24? How does that read? Anybody? There you go. You, right. You see. The you see is, here is the logical conclusion of what I've just taught you. I just gave you an example. You see is the logical conclusion. He's like, see? What did I tell you? Here is the example of Abraham. See? This is the logical conclusion of this. His works substantiated his faith. Faith and works are not equal, but they are inseparably linked. Faith comes first. Saving faith produces works. Now, after last time's uh, um, lesson, I had several people come and talk to me because they had a lot of questions, which I'm about to answer today and maybe next time. So I'm not done yet. So, so I will be done certainly by, by next week. But it says, so in other words, faith was perfected. It says here in verse, in, in verse uh, 22, it says faith was perfected. And faith being perfected implies that faith comes before the, the work. In Genesis 15 verse 16 it says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, which is quoted in, in, in 23. But that's Genesis chapter 15. So James is quoting in verse 23, Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is before Genesis chapter 22, by decades. And so James is saying, yes, there was faith there. Faith was there already and it was speaking prophetically of what he was going to do and manifest that through works. So in verse 24 of James, this justified means vindicated. Faith only is a faith that does not produce works. So he says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Faith alone means a faith that does not produce works. Okay, now let's look in verse 25 for Rahab. In the same way, so he starts it out, in the same way. In the same way means, let me give you another example showing exactly the same point. Isn't that clear? I mean, the, the scriptures are so beautiful, so logical. This is what I love about this book. It just, it just makes sense again and again. So this guy is trying to teach us. He gives us a hypothetical. If you should see a, a man, a, a brother or sister without food or clothing, there's the hypothetical. This is what you've got to do. He says, now let me give you specifics based on the book which we love. The same way you have a believer and they come to you for counsel and you open up the Bible, you say, see, it says right here. The, oh, this book means something to us. To Jews, 
this book meant something to them. So to use Abraham as an example means something. It's like, oh, okay, this is not a new concept. And so he's saying, he's saying, in the same way, now let me teach you, give you another example. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot just also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So now he's referring to Rahab. And here he refers to her as Rahab the harlot. So there's no confusion which Rahab they're talking about. Remember, Rahab was the, was the grandmother of, 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 of uh, Boaz. Or, uh, I'm sorry, the mother of Boaz. Remember, we had read about Ruth and Boaz. And, and, uh, so Rahab was the mother of Boaz, and Boaz was, was the father of Oded, and Oded was, was a couple generations then to, to David. Still, it refers to her as Rahab the harlot. This is so politically incorrect in our day to take someone who was a former prostitute and to refer to them long after their salvation and now thousands of years later and say, oh yeah, remember Rahab the prostitute? You see what I mean? Come on, stop referring to her that way. It's actually a very good way to know who people are. And, and, and we used to do this. And, and now you can't do this, but I'm terrible with names. Shereen is very good with names. I mean... I just I forget names all the time. You you can tell me your name. I'll say what is your name. You'll tell me, and I'll repeat the name. And five minutes later, I don't remember your name. But you tell me your occupation. If a man tells me his occupation, I remember it all the time. You know, Joe the plumber. You know, when we had this guy during the, this election, Joe the plumber, and and, and referred. Oh, we knew exactly what Joe they were talking about. Remember Joe the plumber during the election? Okay, so. You know, you refer to something. Here's Rahab the harlot. Okay, I know which Rahab we're talking about. For some reason, in, in, in fact, this is, this is known that, that names are stored in a separate portion of the brain. But occupations are different. And so if you tell me what your occupation is, I generally remember that much better. So tell me your name and what your occupation is. Or what your major is or something. That Give me some element of association here. So says, Rahab the harlot was justified by works when she received the messengers. So let's go back and read about Rahab. This is in Joshua. In Joshua, so this is uh, uh, the, the sixth book of the Old Testament. After Deuteronomy, you'll find Joshua. And we're going to look in Joshua chapter 2 to see this account and see exactly what did Rahab do and when did she believe? Did she have had belief that preceded her work. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, reading from verse 1, Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now why do you think they lodged in the house of a harlot? It's easy to find lodging in the house of a harlot. I mean, this is, this is the occupation that's there. And so, you know, they went and they, they, they ended up in the house of a harlot because they needed a place to stay and they needed to do it secretly. And generally, prostitutes generally don't, don't share who's come and who's gone. I mean, things haven't changed much, have they? This, this happened a long time ago. 
And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and have entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, and and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it came about, when it was time to shut the gate at dark, that the men went out. I do not know where, they, where the men went. Pursue them quickly, <clears throat> for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and, to, and, as, so, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on all of us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, and to Sion and to Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted And no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a pledge of truth. And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, our life for your life. If you do not tell this business of ours, it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. And she said to them, Go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you. Hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward you may go your way. So, This is the work that she did. This is the act that she did. But I want to follow the progression. Now, this was an act of treason. This is a very big deal, what she did. These men went into her house. It was seen that they had gone into the house. The king sent for them, and the the prostitute just said, you know, they were here, did their business, and they've gone. Before the gate closed, they left. And then she went and she hid them on the roof of the house. But if you look up in verse 9, it says, I know the Lord has given you this land. So she recognized that God had given these men this land. She said, when our men heard how God parted the Red Sea before you 40 years earlier, and how you have destroyed kings on the other side of the Jordan, every man in this city lost heart. There's not a man that's going to fight you because they've all been demoralized. They've lost heart. But then she goes on to say, in verse 11, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This woman had become a believer in the Jewish God, the God Jehovah. She had become a believer just based on the things that she had heard. She she recognized There was faith before she had done any act. So before these men ever came into her house, just based on the rumors that she had heard, 
the stories that she had heard of all that the Israelites had done, she knew that their God was the God of heaven. Faith preceded her work. But was it her faith that saved her life? Or was it her work that saved her physical life? It was her work. Look in in, uh, Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. As they're about to take the land, Joshua gives a commandment. In Joshua chapter 6 verse 17. The city shall be under a band. It and all that, that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Why was she spared? Why was her life spared? Because she hid the messengers whom God sent. Not because she believed. The belief led to the work. The work saved her life. But the work happened because she believed. You see, faith preceded the act. And so if we turn back now to James, now that we've got the context of the story, he says, Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works, vindicated by her works, when she received the messengers and sent them out the other way? That act, that act was a manifestation of what she had believed. So let's expand on, on, on this concept of faith versus works. So maybe we can wrap it up. Let me just read a few points on this. One need not believe and commit total obedience to be saved. Because none of us has total obedience. How many of us have yielded everything in our lives, every moment of our lives? Salvation occurs by grace through faith alone, apart from works. That is clear. So salvation occurs by grace through faith alone, apart from works. And there are many, many references to that. I just want to look at, at one from the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31. In Acts 16, verse 31. What is said here is, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Salvation comes through belief. And we're going to expand on this probably next time we'll begin to expand on this. Where we want to understand that that works is a result of faith and none of us has totally yielded. So to say we have to have total yielding in order to be saved, I'll tell you, there would be very few that would be saved. Because as we go through our Christian life, we begin to mature and there's more and more yielding. Or it's supposed to be that way. And we'll contrast that and we'll look at it. And we'll study next time what it means to be carnal or as the scriptures refer to as fleshly. Can a Christian walk in a fleshly manner? And the scriptures are clear. The scriptures are clear on that. Can, a, can a, 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 a Christian be unfruitful? The answer is absolutely yes. Because the Scriptures again and again encourage us to be fruitful. So why does it have to encourage us to be fruitful if we're always fruitful? It's only because we suffer from being unfruitful that we are encouraged to be fruitful. 
and we'll look at what it means, what maturity means, and what growth means, and we'll look at examples from the Scriptures, from the New Testament, of people who didn't grow, and the result of that. And how this, these works, these works are demonstrations of our faith. Not just to others, but to ourselves. To ourselves. What I do, the works that I do in the name of the Lord, are a demonstration to others and to myself of what God is doing in my life. And we'll begin to see this. And we'll begin to see how everybody is different. Some yield 30, some yield 60, some yield 100 fold. And we'll begin to analyze our lists and the lists that we put upon others for the works that they should be doing. And we'll take a look at that next time. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the degree of faith that was demonstrated by Abraham and the degree of submission that was demonstrated by both he and Isaac. Father, thank You. Father, I pray for these young people that You would cause them to be fruitful in their lives and full of good works for the Lord. Father, use them for your glory and for the grace of God. Father, your grace be upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would open up the Scriptures, continue to teach them the Word of God, I pray. And I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.